Today I've been talking to Cassandra Lane, who is a mum and an editor and also the author of a brand new novel called We Are Bridges, which is a non-fictional historical story of her family past in the deep south of the USA. Now this story um, includes the sadness, the loss, the joys, the riches, but also the love and the romance that comes out of this story. And also how this journey that Cassandra went on led her to realize it was time for her to become a parent. Hi, Marie. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you. Because we've been due to meet for ages, but your schedule has been so busy <laughs> that we've we finally decided to leave it until you had a space of breathtaking. So I hope you can take some breath now. Yes, today is the first day of a little bit of deep breath. I took a lavender bath this morning. I felt so luxurious. <laughs> thank oh. you so much for your flexibility. I was excited to talk to you and here we are. Wow, that's brilliant. So tell me, tell us all about you. Paint a picture of what where you are now. Where are you in your career, in your in your parenting? Where do you live? Paint a picture for us. Okay. I'm a Southern girl at heart. I grew up in a tiny town in Louisiana in a deep south. Um, and my dream was always to be a writer. And I told my mom that when I was 10 or 11. And that's what I pursued. I wanted to write books, but in order to be practical, I decided to go into journalism. I majored in journalism in undergraduate school. I was the editor of the campus newspaper. I worked my internships at the local newspaper and went on to become a reporter. Um, but I still had the dream to write creatively. So I did go back after about 10 years in the field, I went back to school to do an MFA in creative writing here in Los Angeles, which is where I am now. And I've been here as of next month, 20 years. So wow. that Louisiana to LA um, migration. And I've worked five different careers here in Los Angeles, but the through line has always been writing and editing. I've taught um, English literature and journalism to high school students here in Los Angeles. I've worked for an education nonprofit as a senior writer, telling the story of the importance of quality early education for all kids, no matter their backgrounds or economic status. Um, I've worked for the Los Angeles Dodgers, which was a kind of oddball position, <laughs> but I was the community relations manager and I did a lot of community outreach. I wrote stories about people um, through the lens of the basketball, uh, I'm sorry, baseball magazine. And um, my current job is as editor-in-chief of Los Angeles, of, of LA Parent Magazine, um, where I've been for almost four years now. And all along through all of those jobs, I've always done my own writing. Um, so I just published my first book in April of this year. I'm also a mom to a just turned 14 year old son. I'm a wife, friend, daughter, all of that. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds exhausting. <laughs> so what I'm, what I'm interested in is, is, is the book. So tell, introduce the book to us, give us the name, you know, who is it published by? Yeah, so the book is called We Are Bridges, a memoir, and it was published by the Feminist Press in uh, April, actually the week of my birthday. The Feminist Press is the oldest and longest running woman-owned and led 
press in the world. And I'm just very honored to be published by them. I love so much. It's such a storied press. I love so many of the authors that they've published over the years. My book um, started with the my obsession over my great-grandfather who was lynched in 1904. And while I was in Louisiana, I wasn't so much fixated on that story, but I think there was something about moving away from my home state for the first time and, you know, being so far away from home, almost 2000 miles. Um, and I started, I was, and I enrolled in the MFA program at Antioch University, Los Angeles. And so I was looking at what I was going to write, but I was also trying to understand myself, um, mm. doing therapy, doing a lot of self-work. And of course that turned me back to my family and my past. Um, and one of the things that I became fixated on was my great grandfather. I remember my great grandmother, his love very well. I was 11 when she died. I ate her food. I watched her shooing away ghosts, which I was so confused <laughs> by as, as a, confused by as a kid. Um, her tea cakes are something that I can still taste in my mouth. Um, mm -hmm. So I wanted to examine the impact of their, um, that tragedy, my great grandmother, Mary, cried about uh, my, grand, my great grandfather on her deathbed in her 90s. So clearly that was something, even though she didn't want to talk about it, you know, through the years, that was something that came back to her on her deathbed. She cried about how much she loved him, how the white people in their Mississippi town lynched him, how he was a proud, strong man. Um, and so I was determined to explore this story um, because I was looking at race, racism, but also romance, broken romance, mm. marriage, and looking at how those all of those things intertwined. Um, so this, the finished, it's seen many iterations, but the finished product is a story that goes back and forth in time, weaving my ancestral story with my contemporary story of becoming a mother, um, looking for romance, failing at that, um, and looking for healing. Mm, I love what you say because so often we talk about issues around race, but we sometimes forget that we are talking about human beings right. with human being stories and and love and loss and, and and people's journeys. So I love that, and I just wanted to read um, part of a review about your book. Um, there's actually quite a lot that I saved to read, but I'm just going to read one paragraph of it. And it says, We Are Bridges turns to creative nonfiction to reclaim a family history from violent erasure so that a mother can gift her child with an ancestral blueprint for their future. Haunting and poetic, this debut traces the strange fruit born from the roots of personal loss in one black family and considers how to take back one's American story. Mm, I love that. And the thing that really jumped out at me is ancestral blueprint for the future. And I just wanted to ask you about that need for the ancestral blueprint. You've already spoken a little bit, but was there a link between um, knowing that you wanted to be a parent and wanting to have that ancestral blueprint for the future? Or were you already feeling that you needed to find out much more about this, you know, this, this your, your great grandfather in your past? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. Actually, I initially was not going to become a parent. 
um, and I write about that in the book, that I was staunchly opposed, even though I loved kids. Um, but as the oldest of five with growing up in poverty, a single mother after my mom divorced my father, um, I associated in my young mind, uh, childhood, child rearing with poverty and struggle and burden. And I had another vision for myself, which was traveling and being single and free and the romance for sure. I was romantic at heart, but I just thought I would work with other people's kids. I would volunteer. So that was my vision. Um, and I, I still had that vision when I started writing um, the first chapters of We Are Bridges. And so I think that to answer your question, it was more of a, a journey in you know self-identity um, and trying to see and understand who I was and understanding that even though I was, had gotten all the way out here out West, which symbolizes so much, you know, about freedom and people looking to reinvent themselves, that there was no way that I was an island. I was not separate from my past. Um, and so I, I was reckoning with that and, uh, the project was my attempt to understand, you know, my people and what they went through and how that had trickled down to me um, in what ways was I like them and you know what traumas were in the bloodline we know that there's cellular memory um, but also what joys and riches and talents were there that were uh, that needed to be unearthed as well um, so yeah so it was definitely a project that I started before I even wanted to become a mom and then around like early 30s, I started changing my mind about motherhood. I was teaching high school students and I loved it. I loved them um, <laughs> and all of these. And I didn't, I don't necessarily believe in that proverbial biological clock, but I started journaling about why I had made the decision not to have children. And I was just at a place in my life where I didn't want to continue to make decisions that were born out of fear or resentment. Um, so a lot of self-work was taking place. I started broach, you know, just broaching the uh, possibility of becoming a mom. And uh, my husband at the time was still not interested in becoming a parent. And uh, we ended up going our separate ways. Um, a couple of years later, I was with this guy. I was, and we ended up pregnant. <laughs> He's like my, you do. He's my, yeah. <laughs> he's my second husband and, and our kid is 14 years old. Um, so yeah, definitely once I discovered that I was pregnant, the book took on a new, a new life and I was even more determined to finish it. Um, not just for me, but for him and for whatever generations would come after. Um, my family had so little in terms of wealth and land um, some land that we did own was lost. Um, so, you know, my, my ancestor was lost in that violent way. And so I just wanted to create something uh, beautiful, even though it also included that tragedy. I wanted to, through language, through love, through the care of crafting a story, create something beautiful to pass on. Um, and I think at first it was for myself, a gift to myself. And then later it became a gift to my son and whoever comes after him. Lovely. So, you know, what was the story of this tragedy, of this, this violent tragedy that happened? And, and then I suppose, you know, to, to balance that out, you know, 
what did you find out about the the romance and the love between those two people yeah so great grandma mary did not want to talk about Bert bridges um and this was through the decades um so first her son my grandfather my mother's father would beg her to tell him more about his father. She did eventually tell him that his stepfather, you know, was not his real father. His stepfather was very abusive um, to her and to my grandfather. But she she did eventually tell him his name, Bert Bridges, thus the title of the book, We Are Bridges. Um, she told him, you know, again, that he was proud, that he was a really handsome man. Uh, when my mother became a, a girl, she asked my great grandmother the same questions. My uncle Cricket asked her the same questions. So through the through the decades, there were a couple of people in the family who had become obsessed with the idea of Bert Bridges and would badger her with these questions. But she pretty much just stuck to those bare bones facts: his name, his beauty his strength, his pride, and then how the white people didn't appreciate that he was proud, who knows what happened, um, and they and that they lynched him. So in my research, you know, I didn't come across any newspaper articles. I searched high and low. There are, of course, lots of unknowns when it comes to the history of lynching in this country. Um, so perhaps he was written about, but he was one of those quote unquote unknowns in an article. And I, I talk about that in the book. Um, I did hire a researcher in 2018 in Mississippi who believes she found the same Bird Bridges on a 1900 US uh, census report. And so we, it's a very, it's not very legible, you know, it's handwritten, um, but we can read that it's Bert Bridges, the parents' names, the siblings' names. I wrote about that. It didn't make it into the scope of this book, so it's for later, but that was a very surreal experience after having not been able to find, you know, a birth certificate, a death certificate, um, newspaper articles, and just feeling crushed and just coming up up against walls in that journey. It was really um, fascinating to see his name written in cursive on this US Census report. Um, but yeah, I just, I just think that I needed, I didn't wanna be stopped by those walls uh, to get back to your question. I wanted to create something for them just to honor that they existed, that they were here. So parts of this story, even though it's a memoir, is fictionalized. I create the chapters that are called 1904. Those are chapters that are based on Mary and Bert, um, but they're fictionalized. I just kind of rely on my own imagination and the little bits that I did know about them, the way that she would you know, smile when she talked about how beautiful he was. Um, so clearly, she wasn't talking about her, the husband that she married, you know, after the lynching and was with for decades. That's not who she was talking about on her deathbed or smiling like that about. Um, so clearly, this was a man that she never got over, a love that she never got over. And so I just used that as my inspiration. Um, and also my own romantic leanings and imagination to create these fictionalized chapters for them. Mm. And my publisher was open to, to that, you know, playing around with imagination. And I love how someone called it historical memory um, or just imagined memory. And I just feel honored to see their names in print. Yeah, I can imagine while you were doing the research that you, it was almost like this person had never existed. 
exactly. until you found that one document with his and name that was years later yeah absolutely it was heartbreaking it was heartbreaking and i contrast that at one point in the book with you know all the documentation that we have driver's licenses yeah. birth certificates um against what they didn't have i was so excited to get finally a death certificate um for my great-grandmother there's no birth certificate but i got that death certificate and it just after all the emotional work the research it just hit me that yes it's a death certificate but it's proof that she existed um i we know that she existed here we are we we have her her dna but you know no one's talking about those people or writing about those people we didn't think to record them while they were living and that's one thing that i truly regret that i don't have their voices recorded their stories recorded um so this is my tribute back to them mm. And, you know, because I'm in the UK, as you know, and so, you know, uh, we have um, versions of the Deep South through movies, through news articles, images on the TV. You know, what's your experience of of the Deep South and, and, and maybe the change in your time from, from when your great-grandfather was lynched you know, through to you getting to the point where you were leaving for LA, you know, what, I mean, that might be just too big a question, but, you know, what, what did you experience as a child and what did you see change in your time? Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's great, especially from someone looking from the outside in. Um, so I love that I grew up in a multi-generational household looking back because in that one household we had my great-grandmother Mary, you know, who was a lynching survivor. We had my grandparents um, who were born in 1904 and 1908, my grandfather and grandmother respectively. And um, we had my mother who was born in 1953 during the civil rights, you know, movement. Um, she lived through that. And then myself as the oldest born in 1971 my sister 72 another sister in 79 and then my brother is born in the 80s so we had this all of this life and mm. history um existing in that one little house on elm street <laughs> mm. um so i think you know of course i had certain privileges that my great grand and parent and mom didn't my mom went to a segregated school um, her school, her high school didn't segregate, didn't integrate until she was racially integrated until she left uh, the year, a year later in 1970. So, you know, even though lots of schools in the country had already integrated, this was a tiny town in Louisiana that was behind the times. And um, so she would tell us the stories that she went through, you know, uh, white kids on a bus throwing, you um, epithets at them, calling them the N-word, her and her brothers on their way to school, um, the seeing the fountains, you know, not being able to drink from uh, a fountain unless it said blacks, colored or whatever it would say. Um, and then also the, the inequality in the schools, um, the tattered textbooks that they had as opposed to what the white kids had at their schools, um, some of the teachers not being qualified. So I heard those stories, you know, over and over as a kid um, and could contrast them with, with my life. I was going to the same school that everybody else went to, whether they were white or black, rich or poor, because that's the school that we all had to go to. Um, 
And but at the same time, even though we were integrated uh, by law, uh, we were still very much segregated. It's you know, in the early grades, I had like a best friend who was white, and she came to school in third grade one day and said, "My mother says um, I can't play with you anymore. I can't be your friend anymore." Mm. And I was just broken. But I knew, even as a little kid, it's because I said it's because I'm black, right? And she just hung her head. Um, so. Yeah, even though we were so-called progressing, those vestiges of, you know, slavery and Jim Crow and, and discrimination were still there. Um, we all kind of got into our own little pods. When we, we all graduated together, of course, but I don't have any white friends from high school um, and not even really college. Um, it's just so easy to be in the same spaces, but still segregated into your own little worlds, unfortunately, unless, unless you're intentional about it. Um, and that has mm. to be on both sides. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when you were at school in the, well, let's say, um, you know, late seventies, early eighties, your experience of school would have been different though to your parents. So you, you wouldn't have had the tattered, you know, um, textbooks that that nobody else wanted or you would have had qualified teachers so progressively you would have had the same experience as anybody else at school is that is that right yes we were all in the same schools um again it's a tiny town so from elementary through high school all of the kids went to the same schools and mm -hmm. so of course we had access to great mm -hmm. the latest textbooks great teachers mm -hmm. I'm still in touch with my AP English lit teacher, Miss um, Roberts. She's re long retired, but she keeps up with what I'm doing on Facebook through writing. I bet she does. <laughs> I bet she does. Yeah, so her daughter graduated from the same high school that I graduated from. And yeah. we had, at that point, equal access. Yeah, because I love the fact that, um, you know, now you're in L.A. And, and I've done similar roles to you in, in our further education um, colleges, which would be 16 to 19 year olds, and that kind of passion and love you have for these young people who are going through such an exciting time in their lives. I bet you were a massive support to them with the with the experiences that you've got. So as you know, we've been talking this whole time about motherhood, and you've you've really talked about how you know, you weren't so sure about being a mom and you were, you know, really interested in traveling and excitement, exploring the world, which I completely resonate with. And then suddenly, whether it was a biological clock or not, you suddenly realized that it was your time. And so you're in LA, you know, you've, you've created this novel, you've, you've got this vast experience in, in the journalistic writing world, and you're a mom. So I just wanted to ask you, because this is precarious parenting, how's that turned out for you? How's being a mum turned out with every other thing that you've been doing? Yeah, oh, it's so, oh my gosh, I feel emotional. <laughs> it's been, um, 
I thought I knew about children, you know, so much because again, I'm the oldest and I would jokingly say that I'm a, a second mom um, and I don't need to be one. Uh, and then I taught and I loved the kids. They're adults now and I'm in touch with so many of them through social media. I run into them at the beach, the stores. Um, but I didn't know all the things that I thought I knew, uh, you know, when it comes to parenting one-on-one, -on -one, being a mother. Uh, my son has taught me so much. Um, it's been challenging. It's been rich. It's been joyous. It's been shocking. Um, he is very, uh, he definitely shows up in my work, inspires my work sometimes, you know, at the magazine. Uh, I, I've written about him uh, in essays that have appeared in anthology, anthologies. Of course, he's not a, a character yet in the book. Oh, I guess you could say he is. He's in utero, so he's uh, in the <laughs> <laughs> book ends with his birth, so he is there. And he said about a year ago, he said, I feel like when I think about, and he, he loves to like examine our lives, looking at old pictures, you know, whatever he can find digging up on us. So it's interesting. Um, but he said, I feel like becoming a mom for you just like gave you a sense of identity. <laughs> uh, that's a very wise observation from him. 14 year old lad. <laughs> Excuse me, I had an identity before and we fell out <laughs> laughing about it. I said, but you know what? It added these rich layers to my identity. You're right. Mm -hmm. You've given me so much. You have made me, you know, question uh, assumptions that I have or the, the way that I am in the world or the, the way that I respond. Um, I love that he's so verbal. I was afraid to be that way as a kid. Um, I didn't know to be that way. And so we've done not everything right, but I'm glad that we've at least nurtured uh, an environment where he feels confident to challenge us, um, to call us on our contradictions, to be emotional, to tell us when we hurt him, um, you know, just by something that we say offhand or whatever. And so that just pushes me in a way that you don't get pushed necessarily in friendships where everything sometimes is yeah. on the surface and you know, you'd love each other and you just want to keep the peace. Um, but the, there's, it, it truly has shown me what unconditional love is um, mm. even more so than being a daughter or a sister um, because it's just in your face. Um, but also I love to explore, you know, with him. Um, you can travel with kids. <laughs> Yeah. And travel, you know, there might be certain adjustments that have to be made, but it's so fun to see the world, whether you're in an, a, a new place or your own neighborhood, to see the world and experience it through the eyes of kids when they're young. Um, teenagers might seem like they're not as interested, they're on their phones, but, you know, even that, I love uh, listening to how he internalizes what's going on in the world, in our country. Um, some of it very heartbreaking, um, but it's interesting to see what these kids are, are thinking and how they're processing, and we have to do so much better for them. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, I really love what you just said about traveling because I, you know, talk to my stepsons and I just, you know, they say, oh, I'm not sure if I want to go traveling. And it's like, well, traveling doesn't have to be with a backpack and an open ticket. You know, we're traveling every day, you know, every right. day is an experience, every day is something new. 
So oh, we're coming to the end of our, our episode together and I love talking to you, Cassandra. And I just wanted to ask you, you know, what would be your message to anybody? And I and I was thinking, gosh, well, what, what message would it be as a parent, you know, as a as a novelist? And what if you if you wanted to share something out there with with any woman who who had something to say and didn't know how to say it or 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 wanted to be a parent? I don't know. What would your message be? Oh, I love that. So much, you know, (laughs) (laughs) so much. But I think back to, uh, I've been uh, so grateful for all the book clubs and and meetings. Um, But something really touched me the other day. There was a book club uh, that's made up mostly of women who are immigrants to this country. And um, it's actually led by one of my publishers at the magazine. And what she told me was that in my book, one of the things that all of the women related to was my migration story from mm-hmm. Louisiana to Los Angeles. Um, and, you know, some of them had come from war- war-torn countries, um, and tried to, but what they all had in common was trying to make a better life for themselves here in Los Angeles, trying to recreate um, their families, trying to recreate themselves um, and and create this safe safe space. Um, So I think what I took from that was no matter who you are or where you are in the world, your story is gonna resonate with Mm. other people in ways that you can't even predict. And also, you know, when it comes to looking at our roots, I think all of that is important. Understanding, you know, family and DNA and and all of that is super important. I've done the DNA tests and all of this research, but it's important to know where those lines start and end, whether you're looking at, you know, your ancestral, your past or your um, offspring, you know, Mm. as a mom looking at your children. It's great to understand all of that, to nurture it on both ends, but you also have to just acknowledge and cherish and honor and nurture you as an individual apart from both of those ends. Um, So those are a couple of my, would be a couple of my takeaways. I love that so much because we all have a story and our stories are important. And uh, and and we, although we're a mum or a stepmum, we're still us. Absolutely. Yeah, and our kids that. need us to be. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh yes! What a great <laughs> end. So, if anybody wanted to to make contact with you, two questions: so If anybody wanted to make contact with you, how could they? And where can they buy your book? And both these bits of information, although I'm going to ask you, I'll also put in the show notes. Awesome. So you can find me at CassandraLane.net. And on there is a section called We Are Bridges. And under that section, I have several store buttons that you can click, um, whether it's, you know, an online chain or a local bookstore. to buy the book i know that it's at several bookstores there in the uk uh so yeah on i think that would be an easy place to go cassandra lane that wonderful it's been my absolute pleasure to finally get around to talking to you and i think maybe this won't be the last time oh i hope not marie this has been wonderful thank you 
You've been listening to Precarious Parenting by Realization Works. Subscribe to realizationworks.com to access more resources, including monthly blogs written to be shared with younger people. Thank you.